Today on CityCast Denver, to peep or not to peep? That is the question. Whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer the crowds and traffic of Kenosha Pass or to smugly scroll past a sea of foliage photos. And, by staying home, win fall in Denver? And Westward's outgoing culture editor asks, is there any space for creativity left here? Good question, Kyle. We're going to answer. Today is Friday, October 1st, 2021. I'm Paul Caroli, and this is CityCast Denver. Welcome back to CityCast Denver, the show about the good mood city founded on American optimism and sustained by Western exuberance thanks to abundant sunshine, decent traffic flow, and the country's third lowest property taxes. (laughs) You stole my quote, Paul, from the story we were going to talk about. (laughs) I loved it so much. That quote is, of course, from Ray Rinaldi's review of Meow Wolf Denver in the New York Times this week. Listeners, if you've got a description of Denver that's going to make Brie laugh, send it to me. I'll use it at the top of the show. Email me, denver at citycast.fm. Wow, that was a lot of reading. i got to catch my breath. Brie, our regular host, is here as usual. Brie, say hello. Hi, everybody. Hi, Paul. And also joining us this week, newsletter writer Peyton Garcia. Hey, Peyton. Hey, guys. We did the burrito battle this week. I felt like listening to the draft that we didn't have a lot of time for final thoughts Mm. and I wanted to give a little bit more space. Peyton, is there any, do you have any unresolved burrito feelings that you need to get out there? I feel like I made myself pretty clear. Yeah? (laughs) Babachinos is where it's at. (laughs) Although I will say... B-Town yeah, okay. Babachinos only. Yes, B-Town Babachinos only. I will say I feel like I should have gotten it with the chili on the inside. I would have converted you all had I done that. So that was a mistake. And if I had a time machine, I would fix it. Um, but while I was <laughs> eating my leftovers, I was re-eating the La Casita one, the one with the mm-hmm. mashed potato filling. Mm-hmm. Really didn't like it. Oh, no. I'm sorry. I thought that was going to go in the other direction. I I was going to be, well, I'm sorry about that. I also had a leftovers experience. Okay. Do tell. Same. My wife ate them all. I didn't have any of them. <laughs> That's mine. <laughs> she enjoyed them. Did she have a favorite? Um, I think she might have actually liked the one that you didn't like, the the La Casita one. That was the one that Just I had. too mashed potato-y. Yeah. It was very potato-y. Brie, how about you? Do you have any unresolved feelings about burritos? Yeah, I did. I had a leftover situation, too. First of all, I brought two halves of burritos home. So I was like to my husband, I'm all, here's a half-eaten burrito. And he was <laughs> like, okay, thanks. Um, but I I ate the Santi- the rest of my Santiago's burrito, which in the moment was my favorite burrito. But I will say there was like my piece of bacon was like an entire piece of bacon that like I I pulled, had to pull out of the burrito because it was like, I couldn't get it with my teeth. And then I was like, you know what? The tamale kitchen like chunks Mm -hmm. of bacon were better, honestly. So as much as I'm a Santiago's fan, I was so glad I gave Tamale Kitchen a chance for their breakfast burritos because I've been a fan of their food for so long. They might be my new favorite breakfast burrito. I may have changed my mind and it might be Tamale Kitchen. Yeah. Wow. We had a full-on conversion. 
Yes. And that's why you listen to the Friday show, folks. <laughs> For that I will say you wonderful can't thing. digested opinion. You can't put a full strip of bacon on a burrito. That's just a new yeah. that's a new mistake. You've got to chop it up. It's gotta be biteable, like you know, like yeah. b- bites of something. Also, I just wanna say, um, I wanna shout out my friend Armando who on Twitter said I positioned our story as like you know what I realized in doing this story? We have so many good breakfast burritos. And Armando was like, mm, an embarrassment of riches, if you will. And I was like, it's so true. We kind of take it for granted that we mm-hmm. have like, you can kind of get a good breakfast burrito almost anywhere. Like totally. a med- a mediocre to a d- pretty good one almost anywhere in, in Denver, at least. So it's something we do well. And uh, I'm kind of proud of it now. And for me, I just wanted to give a quick uh, quick thanks to everybody that's emailed me with vegetarian breakfast burrito recommendations. That was very thoughtful, and I am looking forward to trying all those places. Thank you. But we got to get to our main story of the day, uh, and it's kind of connected in an interesting way that we're going to get to in a second. So it's the cover story of Westward this week. Kyle Harris, longtime culture editor for them, is leaving for a new gig at Denverite. He'll be reporting on growth. Um, but his piece this week was, uh, just this long rumination about art and capitalism that connected the dots between the DIY art scene of the, the early aughts and, uh, the hyper commercial street art and quote unquote immersive art industry we have now. And he was really questioning whether all these changes have left any space for what he says, what he describes as real creativity. Mm which really stuck out to me. Very provocative. Um, so here's where I want to start. Peyton, we met up to eat these breakfast burritos that we've been talking about at the Rhino Art Park. Can we start with just a paint the picture? What is the Rhino Art Park? Well, it's this medium-sized open green space. It's... it's Um, But it's kind of tucked behind all these different apartment buildings and behind a lot of construction. Um, So I found it a little challenging to get to by car. There's not... Great parking. Scant parking. Yeah, I had to park. Very scant. I would also say, though, it's not pedestrian friendly. There's no sidewalks, really. And riding your bike over there would be questionable if you would pop a tire. Just seemed say seemed hard to get to. Um, yes. Not super accessible. It's not all that big. I think I thought it was going to be bigger. Um, I also thought with art being in the title, there was going to be more art aspects to it. Um, and there wasn't. It was just grass and then a lot of chairs. <laughs> a lot of um, interesting chairs. <laughs> that is such a, <laughs> a nice way of saying everything and nothing about it yeah, at the same I mean, time. I love she's that describing thing. it extremely accurately. It's very, it's it's exactly what Great. it is. But there's also there's like so much under the surface too. Right. I don't know, Bree, you you've been at the center of this story. Um Man. How did it feel walking through the Rhino Hey, my park? job was just to paint a picture, okay? Bree can you take did it. It was perfect. I loved it. It was perfect. Peyton, you did a great job. That's exactly what it was. It was like hella chairs. A lot of chairs. Um I, driving over, I drove by Rhinoceropolis to get there, um, and I had, 
I have this vivid memory of about a decade ago, standing on the back dock of Rhinoceropolis at a show, looking out at what would now be the Rhino Art Park or the area where it is, and it was just a junkyard. Um, and I just have this really distinct memory of being like, man, this shit's kind of awesome. Nobody's bothering us. <laughs> There's just like weird stuff happening in this warehouse. We're hanging out all night. Nobody's around. It's this desolate, it's this desolation that I love about old Denver that just doesn't exist anymore. And I'm not saying it's good or bad. Like I'm not, it just was weird to be in, it's always weird for me to be in the area known as Rhino um, because I, I've, I had such a formative time there when it was not what it is now, which is apartments and things. But the Rhino Art Park is interesting because it also is connected to a Denver Public Library branch, which rules. Um, Denver mm -hmm. Public Library is a steward of our humanitarian work in the city. Um, the Denver Public Library provides things that our city does not to folks. Um, Wi-Fi, restrooms, shelter, information, connection. I, so that part made me feel good about it being there. Also, Redline mm -hmm. is a part of that. And Redline is one of the few, quote unquote, like big art institutions here in Denver that has done an incredible job of supporting actual artists in the city in tangible ways. So they've got a couple studios there. Eight, and my eight friends- studios. Eight studios. Eight studios. That's yeah, which is, that is a lot. Because um, artist studios, again, that area used to be- uh, artist studios they just weren't called artist studios they were just warehouses so they're providing something that doesn't exist anymore and my friends are opening uh alto gallery reopening it over there after moving it from the north side and so i i have some warmer feelings about the art park uh in that aspect because it does actually involve art but what peyton is saying is totally correct and that it doesn't exude you don't see like i would i would assume it's like sculpture park or something you know um, but there isn't really, there's a, there's a couple of Jaime Molina pieces over there, which are gorgeous, but they're not, it's not an art park. It's part of an artist area. So it's a little bit misleading in the name, but I will give it, um, some credit for being an actual place for artists and people to gather. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I don't have much to say about the Rhino Art Park. I don't, I think it's going to be forgotten very quickly for the reasons that you all have laid out. Peyton was generous to say it's a medium-sized park. It's a tiny park. It's very small square footage for how much real estate was over there at one time. It's pretty minuscule. <laughs> I think I think my favorite part was um, something we commented on at the time is the great view of the mountains. Um, and there's this one building in particular that I don't know where it is somewhere like way off in Lakewood somewhere, but it's like, it sticks out. It's much taller than all the surrounding buildings. And it has a big, I don't even know if you'd call it art. It might just be an advertisement, but it has pictures of hot air balloons on it. And the day we were there was a really clear, like blue sky day. So it all, it created this interesting tableau of, you know, city and sky. I, I just, I like that moment a lot. Um, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Kyle's question of, real creativity is there real creativity i mean this park is the is the such a focal point and this like you said two blocks down from rhinoceropolis the old diy space that used to operate on brighton so what do you think about that core question brie i mean is there space for real creativity in denver there will always be art whether it seems that it's affordable enough for folks to be here and make it or not um <clears throat> I worry about this question sometimes in that it erases what's actually happening here. 
Um, although I, I think Kyle asked that question in good faith too. I respect Kyle's work very much. He's been long been a sort of st- someone that studies the art scene and questions what's going on. And it's a real question. It's just, um, I think about like, so Rhinoceropolis is closed effectively. It's for rent. But um, just down the street, well, not down the street, on the other side of town in my neighborhood is Seven Circle Music Collective, which functions similarly to Rhinoceropolis as a space for mostly young people, but people of all ages to come and make music. And it is still going strong. It's community operated. Um, And there's these other institutions that are still operating in the city making art, thinking about somewhere like Su Teatro. Um, So yes, it... Yes, creativity will happen no matter what. Is it is it the same scene that we had 15 years ago in terms of like the total freedom, financial freedom, uh, you know, like I, I, no, it's not. Denver is different now. But um it's a valid question and I think there's what what Kyle does go on to talk about is the influx of money into the art scene too and what that really means for our creative scene. Um, and I have a lot of thoughts about that, but I think overall, yes, we still have a very vibrant arts community. Yeah. Peyton, I, I, I would love to have your take on this as well. I mean, Bree's obviously like really close to this rhinoceropolis story and a meow wolf, you and me, not, not as much. So what do you think? Do you see real creativity in Denver today? So my mind just keeps going to like, okay, is meow wolf real art or is it just smoke and mirrors? Granted, I have not had a chance yet to go to the new Meow Wolf, but I'm very much looking forward to it. And I don't know, as somebody who's not an artist myself, I I feel like it's art, but that but I don't know, real genuine artists might not see it that way. So I, I just don't really know that I have the authority to weigh in when I'm not somebody who I feel like I mean, I'm not an artist and I don't know that I'm someone who can truly appreciate art with the right kind of gravity. I feel so much closer to where you're at, but like, I also, you know, from, you know, reading a lot about history, I've been thinking about this more as a, as a era, like this DIY art scene that Kyle's talking about. Like when I, when I saw the pictures in Kyle's piece, I was like, you know, Colin Ward and, and some of his friends sit in and around Rhinoceropolis, this like absolute dump on Brighton Boulevard in an industrial area. That's like, uh, that's like Hemingway and F. Scott Fitzgerald sipping on martinis in Paris. You know, it's an era that comes to an end. It's just, and it's going to lead to the next thing and inspire people in different ways. Like, I, I I don't know, but you said it was a good faith question. I kind of think that's bullshit. I don't think this, whether there's real, of course there's real creativity. Peyton, like I, I was kind of hoping that you would talk about dining. Like there's so many chefs doing interesting, creative things with food just because it's different mediums and different ideas. Doesn't mean it's not creativity. Yeah. That's a really interesting parallel. And I think you're right. I think that, um, I've actually pondered that question a bunch of times. The, you know, the bigger and bigger Denver's dining scene gets, it's like, do we have room for new chefs? Do we have room for new concepts? Has everything just been done already? Um, but I say no. I think that there's plenty of room to explore and you can always reimagine something else. And I don't know. I just want to say too that Hmm. Peyton, you represent the dream audience to me as a person who advocates for the arts. So I'm very, like Paul said, I'm very close to this situation. 
I'm not the average person that's going to walk into Meow Wolf and say, this is fun or this is not. You're that person. And you're that like, can someone, can, can Meow Wolf wow somebody like you who doesn't have context? Why would you need context to enjoy art? You know what I mean? Like, I would love to go with you and see what you think about it. Because in the end, you're the kind of person like, we need, we need people to be engaged in art that are not artists. Like, that to me is the whole point. So... Totally. I, you know what I mean? Like, if it's interesting to someone like you, maybe it did its job. Totally. You know? That's a great point. Well, let's um, reconvene after I go. And, yes. And um, I'll let you know my thoughts. <laughs> I'm excited. Sounds- I'm very excited. I loved the Meow Wolf in Santa Fe. I thought that it was incredible. Um, as somebody who's not an artist, I can't do that. So I'm like, wow. Yes, I am wowed. Meow Wolf is so inviting, too, to like... The, the regular person, like the non-art fanatic. It should be. That's, to me, that's the difference between Meow Wolf and Rhinoceropolis. Like when you introduce commerce into it and there's a need to appeal to people because you need to convince them to give you their money. And Meow Wolf is so good at that. Rhinoceropolis didn't attempt no, that. No, that wasn't the point. That was not what it was no, about at all. Not at all. I think that that's a great point. I mean, was Rhinoceropolis luring in people like me? No. The same way that Meow Wolf is? Because I love Meow Wolf. I'm stoked to go take all my money, you know? I think that the more accurate uh, comparison at this point with Meow Wolf and another entity in the city is like the Denver Art Museum. So to me... Mm. um, Meow Wolf. I I grew up going to art galleries and art openings, and I grew. I was sort of taught how to observe art, um, which I don't think is everyone's experience. But I often wonder when I go to the Denver Art Museum for their really big exhibitions, is this accessible to everybody? Is this interesting? Is this speaking to you on a level that's like? This is for you. And I think that that's what's really interesting about Meow Wolf is it, it, it directly is screaming at you, this is for you. Like, come on in. Yeah. Touch, first of all, touch the art, something we've all been taught. You don't touch art. Um, and I I think it's it functions really interesting in this way. And the other thing, too, is what other large entity in Denver itself has paid artists, local artists, dozens of local artists, thousands of dollars to create work? Nobody. So we can be as critical as we want. The Meow Wolf is this thing that's coming in and is it degrading our sense of art with too much spectacle? There aren't enough uh, places where you can figure out who the artists are. Actually, there are. There's a whole Denver Post article that outlines every single artist that's involved in it, if you really want to know. But the average person doesn't care. And it's okay. Like, Well, that I wanted to bring that up, actually, because that stuck out to me, too, in Ray Rinaldi's review that I uh, quoted earlier. He made this point of saying that Meow Wolf doesn't credit the artist in the space, and it's not available on the website. Yeah, so did, That's such, there was a hyperallergic piece, too, by Keely Boyd, who I, a writer who I also respect, who said the same thing, and I was like, so? Well, that's what I wanted to ask you about, because you made the comparison to Dan, but I wanted to hear... Did Rhinoceropolis do anything like that? How did artists get credited or how did like, how did people talk about who did what? That's a really great question because I'm thinking about Rhinoceropolis's early or mid midway through its existence, there was this uh, 
thing they did every year called Fantasia, which is very similar to what Meow Wolf is. Immersive art experiences created by a bunch of different artists. But unless you knew the artists themselves, you maybe didn't know who made it. And I don't know if it really mattered. I knew all the artists personally, so I could tell you which was a Colin Ward piece, which was a Maddie Johnston piece, like which was a Travis Edgerty piece. Like I could tell you that, but I don't know if the average person who came in to maybe just see a cool show knew or that it, it's not that it doesn't matter because I believe crediting artists is so crucial. But at the same time, Meow Wolf paid people to make the thing that they wanted to make. They didn't hire people to make something else. They hired people to make based what they presented and said, I want to make this in Meow Wolf. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think that crediting artists in this capacity is the point of Meow Wolf necessarily, or that the general public really cares. I mean, and you're saying too, that mm -hmm. there's, there's resources. So, you know, if I go in and I'm like, this is incredible. I want to know more about this artist, which, you know, is kind of the goal um, of art exhibitions. I can find that information. It's out there somewhere, mm -hmm. right? I mean... Yeah, and but they're it's like they're not an art gallery. <laughs> they've never right. pretended to be an art gallery, so right. they've always going to have little themselves. tags. Yeah, you're not going right. to have little tags all over that are like this is this artist, this is this artist. And again, right. I'm not saying it's not important because I love that people I know have art in this giant global thing. Yeah. Um, I just don't know if it's as important as it seems. Well. Here's the uh, final definitive answer on this. Meow Wolf, put it on the website. Yes, that would be helpful. Put it on the website. Mm -hmm. Put pictures and stuff and put names and stuff. M links, hyperlinks. Because then people could find more by that artist if they really liked what they saw in there. They could see more of that person's work. And most of those artists have stuff out in the city elsewhere. Yeah, totally. Well, um, we're going to segue to our next topic here, but I have to share a memory because it actually leads us into the next one. So I, I don't think I've ever told any of you this, but I went to Rhinoceropolis once. I was, I feel very lucky to have been there. It must've been like months before the whole thing shut down. They were kicked out. Um, Halloween, Halloween night, there was a big party. Uh, and, uh, me and, uh, my wife, Megan, then, then girlfriend, Megan and, uh, her cousin Riley went and, uh, Boy, did we feel cool. Oh my God. I've never <laughs> felt cooler and younger than to be at the DIY space Halloween party, standing around a oil drum full of a <laughs> nasty fire and a bunch of stinking rooms. And oh, was that place like, I didn't want to touch anything. Maybe that's one thing that high art museums could take from DIY art. It's just like, Deterrence. If you don't want people to touch the art, make it smell bad and gross. <laughs> oh, Paul. But that's Halloween. That's a Halloween memory, and we're going to talk about fall in Denver. So I thought it might be nice for us to go around and just share like an ideal Denver fall afternoon. Maybe an activity or two, maybe a place to eat, something to drink. Peyton, you and I have been talking about this all week. I want to hear from you first. Yeah, I, I have two fall traditions um that i do uh as soon as <laughs> this is gonna sound so basic but as soon as pumpkin spice latte season starts my sister and i go out and we get pumpkin spice lattes and we go to an outdoor mall and we walk around and it feels like fall and um we started this back in college when we back when we used to shop for halloween costumes and 
it was just so fun. And so we did it every year. Every year that um, pumpkin spice lattes started hitting menus, we'd go out, get a latte, walk around an outdoor mall and shop for Halloween costumes. And so that's um, a really fun memory. And we'd go to like the spirit Halloween stores, which are always just kind of fun to oh, look around the best. at. The best. Yeah. So, so whenever the weather starts to cool and people start talking about pumpkin spice lattes, that's immediately like where my mind goes because it's just it's just very nostalgic. It's you know what we used to do in college and we still do it. And now um, we're not really shopping for Halloween costumes, but we make it an excuse to have like a sister sister date and we go to an outdoor mall and drink pumpkin flavored lattes. What a beautiful sense memory that is. Yeah. And then Willie and I, every year, I'm I'm big on, um, really, the only thing that I love about fall is pumpkin seeds. Freaking love pumpkin seeds. I live for pumpkin seeds. They're my favorite. I like <laughs> to get them. I get the biggest pumpkin I can, pull out all the seeds, and then try and dress them in all sorts of different ways and bake them and then eat Ooh. them all the way through January. It's my favorite part of That Halloween. sounds so good. I don't know if I've ever... I've certainly never done that. I'd love to try what? that. What? Oh, it's so it's like, easy and it's delicious. Oh, yeah. Good call, Peyton. It's so great. Wow. And I will do like cinnamon sugar ones and then we'll do some like salty, savory ones. Um, and we try, you know. I do the dry ranch, like oh. the ranch packets. That's, I've never heard of that. <laughs> I don't like ranch, so probably wouldn't be my thing. Oh, but, yeah, um, for sure. Willie and I will usually go pick out pumpkins Um and we make a night of it where we buy a bunch of different pumpkin beers and then we put on Nightmare Before Christmas and we carve pumpkins with our pumpkin beers and then we roast our pumpkin seeds. So it's another fun tradition that we do in the fall. Basically, my everything I love about fall is pumpkin related. I just love pumpkin. Always have. I was drinking pumpkin spice lattes before they were pumpkin spice lattes. They were just... Pumpkin flavored coffee. I love pumpkin. <laughs> Before PSL became a thing. Um, Peyton, you got a favorite local pumpkin beer? Um, Four Noses. I think they're yes. in Broomfield. They mm-hmm. do an amazing pumpkin beer. And and then Mother Tucker, they also do a really good one. And they have um they have, you know, a regular pumpkin beer, but then they have a double IPA pumpkin beer that's like I think if I'm remembering correctly, like twelve percent ABV. Oh. Um not my style, too hoppy, but yeah. That's Four a noses. different kind of fall. <laughs> yeah. Four Noses and Mother Tucker both do really good pumpkin beers. I'm with you on that Four Noses one. I was actually going to mm-hmm. say that in a second. I, I really like that beer. Um, Bree, how about you? What's a perfect uh, Denver fall afternoon for you? Well, I would say that it's too similar to Peyton's. I'm also a pretty basic gal. Uh, I'm not a pumpkin spice person, but uh, I love coffee. Um, and I also love Starbucks. Hmm. Uh, so generally, my best friend and I will stop by the Starbucks on Alameda and Downing and grab uh, coffee, and then we walk Wash Park in the fall, which is like, oh. again, the most basic thing I could recommend people do. <laughs> but it's it's lovely. Um, it's a nice walk. It's a good, if you're trying to get your steps in, good walk. <laughs> but I, I would say... Um, if we're talking sort of Halloween season, I'm not a, I'm not a super Halloween person cause I'm, um, terrified of, I don't like anything scary at all. I don't, nothing as scary as interesting or, or fun to me, but Halloween dressing up is fun. And so my husband and I every year plan a day where we go to the wizard's chest and plan to spend a couple hours 
finding the perfect costumes. And we usually drop a little bit of cash because like good costumes cost money. And Wizards Chest is pretty reasonably priced, but I would say it's um, they've just got more interesting things. They've got folks there to help you try on wigs and like they'll help you get your makeup together and they're just super helpful and they have a great selection. And it's just kind of our little tradition is to go and get a cool costume. And um, this year is the first year we get to take our son to get his little Halloween costume. So I'm so excited. Um, I will say having a baby is going to make Halloween so much more exciting. Like it was, I, totally. I was never into it because like I said, trick-or-treating in the cold sucked growing up. So I was never that into Halloween. And then in college, it was fun. You know, because you got to go to all yeah, the parties. Yeah, you go to parties. And then since then, I'm more of a pass out candy kind of person. I love passing out candy. Um, but having a baby is going to be so fun. I already have like I a million baby wait. costume ideas saved to my Pinterest board. <laughs> <laughs> so we're thinking our baby's like real big and bald. So we're thinking Boss Baby maybe as his costume Aww. this year. Or Dr. Evil. Oh, <laughs> Dr. Dr. Evil would be great. So funny. Boss baby, he might just look like a very well-dressed baby. Yeah, he might just look like a baby in a suit. <laughs> Nothing wrong with a baby in a suit. <laughs> what about you, Paul? What do you like about fall? Or what's your perfect fall day? I mean, I, I like so much about Denver in the fall. I've got such good memories here. Like um, a couple of years ago, uh, we Megan and I took a friend uh, of hers who was a, a new mother and her young boy to the corn maze at Chatfield Park. Oh, fun. And uh, just, you know, really good corn maze, tall enough hedges. Uh, and for, for you, because yeah. you're a tall man. Yes, that is important to me. People can't tell that by your voice. I need a tall hedge on my corn maze. <laughs> Otherwise, too easy. Um, <laughs> but they have just like the perfect, like crappy fair food, like the, the kind of mm. molten cheese that comes in a big aluminum can. That on. Love uh, it. The potato swirls, just disgusting. But I would eat all of it and uh, kind of want to go back and do that again this year. I call that carnival food or skating rink food. And mm -hmm. it is a cuisine in itself that I love. So I will keep that in mind. Yeah. yeah. I will say that um, speaking of corn mazes and Chatfield, that this is probably a good time to um, plug in Exandra's recommendation. Oh, that's right. She's out. She's out living it up in Los Angeles this but week. She loves fall and she couldn't let this episode pass without sharing her thoughts. Hey, guys, it's Alexandra. Uh, I'm sorry that I missed our amazing fall conversation episode, but I'm in L.A. I'll be back next week. But I just wanted to call and leave my fall recommendation, which is anderson farms in erie colorado so it's about a 30 minute drive with traffic from denver and it's totally worth it because it's the best pumpkin patch that i have ever been to in colorado they take you out on a hay ride it's just like a sea of orange when you get out there you get to pick your pumpkin and then they do cool things like uh fire pits and haunted corn mazes and it's just an absolute blast so that's my pick. Hope you all are having a great Friday, and I'll see you next week. Okay, one last thing. Peyton, you've got a recommendation for listeners. Well, let's hear it. I would just say, um, before the weather gets too cold, Denver Ghost Tours are starting back up. Um, and I, I've done a bunch of research on this a, a bunch of times, and we have a ton of companies that do Denver Ghost Tours. We have Denver Like a Local Tour, 
Denver Terror Tours, Nightly Spirits, Denver Free Walking Tours, and Dark Side of Denver Ghost Tours. Um, and they do, I mean, they have great reviews. I have not gone to any of them, but if any of our listeners have and have a favorite, I would love to know what they are because I would really like to go on one. I love ghost tours. I love spooky things. Um, so that's my recommendation and request from our listeners. I love that. That's great. Doesn't Phil Goodstein do a ghost tours? Yeah, yeah he does the dark side of Denver ghost tours. Uh, I would recommend, I, I know Phil well enough to know that uh, he feels pigeonholed by the whole spooky historian thing. So I would recommend going on the ghost tours, but ask Phil about labor history. <laughs> he knows literally everything about Denver history. Ever. Yeah, that guy is uh, incredible. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were me, Paul Caroli, Alexander McMahon, and Natalie Rivera, who's leaving us this week. We're very sad, but she's going to be helping launch new CityCasts in new cities. So that's very exciting. Bree Davies is our host. Peyton Garcia writes our morning newsletter. Our music is by Los Mocochetes, who have a new album coming out soon that we're probably going to have to talk about, plus additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, maybe in more than one app, actually. That, you know, see how that is. Follow us on Twitter, at CityCastDenver, and tell a friend about us the next time you see them. You can sign up for our daily newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back in your feeds on Monday. See you then. I can't believe you've never done pumpkin seeds, Paul.